Hello, everyone, and welcome to the December 13th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Let's get started with our litigation report. A new Third District Court of Appeal decision disagrees with the controversial formula in the Duncan Cola case. Here's what happened in the unpublished decision of Allied Waste Industries versus WCAB Rojas. Rogelio Rojas was seriously injured while working as a garbage truck driver for Allied Waste Industries. He was temporarily disabled from 2005 through 2009, at which time he was deemed to have a permanent total disability. His trial raised three issues. Does the 15% permanent disability step up apply to his total disability award? The second issue is when does the Labor Code 4659 COLA start? And finally, what are the attorney fees on the award? The workers' compensation judge awarded him the 15% step up and started the COLA computation on January 1, 2004, pursuant to the case of Duncan versus WCAB, which is currently under review by the California Supreme Court. Under Duncan, the COLA would start before the date of injury in 2005. The judge also awarded nearly $387,000 in attorney fees. On reconsideration, the WCAB reversed the 15% step up, but otherwise felt constrained by the Duncan decision. Two days after the WCAB issued their order, the California Supreme Court granted review in Duncan. The Third District Court of Appeal, in an unpublished decision, reversed the application of the Duncan COLA methodology. Instead, the court concluded that the injured worker is entitled to a COLA starting on January 1st following the date of injury. The language of the statute offers three possible start dates for this COLA, January 1st, 2004, or the January 1st following a rating of permanent total disability, or the January 1st following the date of injury. The Duncan Court opted for the first option, which is to start the COLA on January 1st, 2004 in all cases. The Third District Court of Appeal disagreed with what they did in Duncan. Under the plain language of Labor Code Section 4659 Subdivision C, the COLA takes effect on the January 1st following the date of injury. Thus, in applicant's case, the COLA should be calculated as of January 1st, 2006. With respect to the Duncan case, the court held that it makes no sense to use the January 1st, 2004 date, and in fact, it is impossible to calculate a COLA using that date. The Court of Appeal ruled that a neuropsychologist is not always qualified to testify about causation of a brain injury. Here's what happened in the unpublished decision of Lorraine Savinsky versus Samuel Mark Paris. Lorraine Savinsky sued her neighbor, Samuel Paris, for injuries allegedly caused when she was struck on the head by a piece of wood that Paris threw over the fence between their properties. Savinsky and Paris lived next door to each other in Scotts Valley. Prior to the subject incident, they enjoyed less than a neighborly relationship. Paris testified that Savinsky's grandson and friends threw branches, twigs, and sticks at his dog and into his yard when they were building a treehouse. Later that day, Paris picked up the branches, twigs, and sticks and dropped them over the fence into Savinsky's yard, striking her on the head with a two-by-four. 
Savinsky claimed that she suffered a mild traumatic brain injury resulting in cognitive deficits. The case went to trial and the jury awarded Savinsky $12,710, which was less than her medical expenses. She appealed, claiming that there was error limiting the testimony of her neuropsychologist on the topic of causation and in admitting evidence from her workers' compensation claim for an unrelated injury. The Court of Appeal rejected her argument and affirmed the judgment in an unpublished opinion. Savinsky's history revealed that she was quite litigious. She had a protracted and bitter divorce and a lawsuit against her employer after she was disciplined for threatening to shoot a co-worker. She also had a 2002 industrial injury against the same employer when she tripped over a doorstop at work. She also filed a civil action for general negligence and premises liability arising out of her trip and fall at work against the owner of the building. At trial in the civil lawsuit against her neighbor, Savinsky called Richard Perillo, Ph.D., a neuropsychologist, to testify about the brain injury she received in her backyard. Defense counsel objected to allowing him to testify on the issue of causation. The court did not allow Dr. Perillo to testify that Savinsky's brain injury was due to the incident involving the 2x4. This ruling was a major issue of the appeal, and the debate about the qualifications of a neuropsychologist was reviewed by the court. While there are California cases supporting the ability of a psychologist to diagnose Diagnosis is different from determining causation, for which there is no specific California published case on point. Some courts, such as an appeal case from North Carolina, have restricted such testimony. The majority of jurisdictions, however, have found that neuropsychologists may, with the proper foundation, form an opinion on the physical cause of organic brain injury, citing cases from Illinois, Missouri, New Jersey, and Nebraska. With respect to Dr. Perillo, there was no specific testimony from him as to his expertise on determining causation, and hence the court did not abuse its discretion in limiting Dr. Perillo's testimony regarding legal causation of the traumatic brain injuries he diagnosed. The Court of Appeal also found that a farm owner was not the special employer of a contract farm worker and therefore not protected by the exclusive remedy doctrine. Here's what happened in the unpublished decision of Santos Calvario Nava versus Jeff Arambel. The defendant in this personal injury suit, Jeff Arambel, grows almonds, apricots, and peaches for the commercial market. He hires a supervisor and workers who maintain mechanical and irrigation systems and provides workers' compensation coverage for his employees. He does not, however, hire workers to pick and sort his fruit. Such work is done through licensed and insured labor contractors. If job seekers come to his farm, Mr. Arambel refers them to a licensed, insured labor contractor. Emilio Ponce Jarugi was such a licensed, insured farm labor contractor operating under the name of Ponce Farm Labor. The plaintiff and injured worker, Santos Calavario Nava, was among a crew hired by Ponce to pick peaches at Arambel's farm. Sometimes Ponce had four persons for his crews and sometimes Ponce himself served as the crew leader. 
Defendant Aaron Bell and his managers specified the size and color of the fruit to be picked since small, unripe, or overripe fruit was not marketable. He also sought to ensure the contract laborers picked all of the good fruit on each tree and that there was no good fruit left on the ground after a tree was picked. Aaron Bell provided each crew with two tractors, two field trailers, ladders, and bins for the picked fruit. Ponce was pulling a trailer to the new orchard using one of the tractors assigned to his crew, which was not equipped for the transport of people. Santos Nava, the injured worker, was riding in the back of this trailer when he lost his balance, fell, and was critically injured and rendered permanently totally disabled. He received workers' compensation benefits through Ponce's insurance carrier. The worker then sued the farm owner for negligence and gross negligence for the failure to exercise reasonable care. Mr. Arambell moved for summary judgment on the ground that the injured worker was also his special employee and therefore workers' compensation provided the exclusive remedy for his injuries. The trial court concluded that Arambell's right of direction and control over plaintiff's work rendered plaintiff a special employee of the farm owner and entered judgment in Mr. Arambell's favor. The Court of Appeal, in an unpublished decision, disagreed and reversed the summary judgment. The evidence demonstrated that there was a triable issue of fact as to whether the farm owner exercised enough direction and control over the activities to be deemed a special employer. A jury may conclude that he was not a special employer. The matter was therefore remanded for a trial on this issue. And now our regulatory report. In 2009, the California Department of Insurance approved several changes to the experience rating formula, including updated credibility values and revised mechanisms for segregating claims into their primary and excess components. And as a result, a new study shows that California employers saw lower experience modifications in 2010. These changes were proposed by the WCIRB at the recommendation of the Experience Rating Task Force and are intended to simplify the experience rating system and improve its predictive accuracy. The WCIRB conducted an analysis of the approximately 115,210 experience modifications to determine the impact of these changes. The analysis shows that approximately 65% of experience-rated policyholders received a lower experience modification than would otherwise have been the case as a result of these formula changes. Approximately 29% of the policyholders received a higher experience modification, and approximately 6% of the policyholders were unaffected by the 2010 formula changes. DWC Administrative Director Carrie Nevins has appointed the Honorable Alice Velarde as Chair of the Workers' Compensation Ethics Advisory Committee and reappointed Michael McLean, Steve Seamers, and Robert Ruby to membership positions. Chair Alice Velarde is a judge of the Superior Court of Alameda County. She serves on the California Judicial Council's Ethics and Fairness Curriculum Committee, has taught ethics to new judicial officers 
through the Judicial Council's new Judicial Officer Training Program and has worked on the development of curricula and faculty materials and taught programs for the Judicial Council's Center for Judicial Education and Research. This state committee, which is independent of the DWC, reviews confidential complaints filed against workers' compensation and administrative law judges. The committee makes recommendations to the administrative director and the DWC court administrator after its review of complaints. The committee reviews all complaints anonymously and does not learn the names of either the complainant or the judge complained against. The committee meets quarterly and members serve four-year terms without compensation. Officials claim that this program helps ensure public confidence in the ethical standards of California's workers' compensation judges. The workers' compensation mileage rate will increase to 51 cents per mile in 2011. This is based upon the new Internal Revenue Service 2011 standard mileage rates. The new rate will apply for travel on or after January 1, 2011, regardless of the date of injury. But claims administrators should continue to pay the 2010 rate of 50 cents per mile for travel from January 1 through December 31, 2010. The IRS rates are tied to the cost of operating an automobile and more particularly fuel costs. U.S. crude oil futures prices rose sharply this week, pushing above $90 a barrel for the first time in 26 months as cold weather fuel demand and the dollar's weakness increased costs in U.S. dollars. Historically, the IRS has made mid-year adjustments to the reimbursement rate to reflect rapid intra-year increases or decreases in fuel prices. Thus, the 51 cent rate is not guaranteed to apply for all of 2011. CalOSHA implemented a new standard to protect employees who work with diacetyl, a chemical commonly used to give food flavorings a buttery taste. California is the only state OSHA plan to have such a standard. Diacetyl is a chemical that is harmless when it occurs naturally or as an ingredient in many of the foods we eat. It can be dangerous in industrial settings where flavorings or foods are manufactured because it is used in much higher concentrations that allow it to get into the air that workers breathe. A number of employees nationwide who have been exposed to diacetyl have developed a serious respiratory illness which in some cases has resulted in patients being placed on lung transplant wait lists. DIR Director John Duncan claims that California has taken the lead on this issue from day one and has worked closely with national medical experts as well as the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health to create this new regulation. At this time, not even federal OSHA has a safety regulation for diacetyl. The new standard, Section 5197 of the California Code of Regulations, requires employers covered by the standard to create a regulated area for each process using diacetyl unless the process is enclosed. Employers must also provide safeguards for employees who work with diacetyl at certain concentrations. The standard goes into effect immediately. And now our financial news. The insurance industry is recovering from the economic crisis, but profits are nowhere near where they were before. And it will take California longer than other states to rebound. 
According to the Insurance Information Institute, the property casualty insurance industry will see growth in 2011, the first time since 2006. Some growth areas include workers' compensation, commercial, auto, marine, and many liability coverages. However, the Institute cautioned the industry not to expect a dramatic turnaround from the financial crisis of the past few years. Personal Lines' direct written premium will show growth in 2011, while Commercial Lines is expected to continue to shrink due to a prolonged soft market and sluggish recovery. There will be regional differences across the country. California's economy is performing poorly and can be expected to rebound slowly. California's direct written premiums declined 15.2% from 2004 to 2009, while 27 states and the District of Columbia had positive premium growth over the past five years. In contrast, North Dakota saw a 65% increase in the premiums written in over the past five years. California consistently has high tort costs and ranked in the bottom five of worst states for tort reform. Businesses are fairly heavily regulated in the Golden State, and business leaders ranked it among the worst states in terms of liability. California had the top 10 costliest jury verdicts in 2009, on record with a $370 million verdict in a defamation case. And now our medical report. Researchers have found an enzyme PKMZ in the brain that appears to make pain last after nerve injury, and they hope to use it as a new target to treat chronic pain in people. The new research is published in the current edition of the journal Science. Blocking the effect of this new enzyme through the use of a selective inhibitor called pseudosubstrate inhibitory peptide, or ZIP, blocked behavioral sensitization and nerve injury related to chronic pain. So-called normal pain or physiological pain is an important warning signal to avoid potentially dangerous situations or environments. Normal pain is also brief and short-lasting. Chronic pain is different as it persists for weeks, months, or years due to spontaneous firing or overexcited pain-related neurons. What makes chronic pain difficult to treat is that these painful signals trigger long-term plastic changes in different cortical areas of the brain and form permanent bad memory. Researchers point out how this explains why the treatment of chronic pain in areas like the spinal cord is often insufficient or ineffective. Most previous studies have focused on signaling proteins that trigger these plastic changes, while few have addressed the maintenance of plastic changes related to chronic pain. Researchers were interested in this PKMZ enzyme because of its well-established role as a memory storage molecule in two areas of the brain. They found that PKMZ was indeed activated when subjects were experiencing peripheral nerve injury. That suggests that PKMZ can be a therapeutic target for the treatment of pain and the use of ZIP successfully muted chronic pain. This finding opens up a new area for pain researchers with the hope that new strategies will be developed to assist people who struggle daily with the challenges of chronic pain. 
The research team hopes their work will help in the design of a new class of drugs that blocks this enzyme. Many painkillers do not work for chronic pain, especially neuropathic pain. And in other news, Pleasanton, California-based eComp has released a wholesale broker program that allows brokers to compete in the pay-as-you-go marketplace with a workers' compensation insurance program. According to the company, workers' compensation integrated with payroll has gained popularity across the country. Thus, eComp was developed to help America's small businesses by eliminating expensive down payments and improving cash flow. Under this program, every time payroll is processed, workers' compensation premium is calculated on that pay period and deducted automatically. There are no checks to write or monthly reports to complete, and there is little or no additional audit paperwork or adjustments. Traditional workers' compensation policies require employers to pay their premium in advance in the form of a 10% to 25% deposit. Granite Insurance Brokers is the program administrator for eComp. The program was previously available exclusively through independent payroll companies and is now available to insurance brokers on a wholesale basis. Coverage is written through a number of highly rated insurance carriers and the product is driven by a custom-built proprietary system. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please stop by our website again next week for more news.